a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So, Bob the Builder. Quite a character, I guess. So, what do you call Bob in recession? Bob the Builder in recession. Bob, correct. What do you call Bob the Builder when he retires? Correct. See, very easy jokes, really, aren't they? That's the only two Bob the Builder jokes I know that you'll be pleased to hear. Okay, it's not really about Bob today, actually. It's about um, somebody else, but I just thought I'd put that up there. So, Dash, if we can hit the other one, please. This is who we're talking about today. God the Builder, specialising in all types of restoration work. I don't know about you this morning, I was just hit again by the immense love that God has for us. I don't know if you felt that wave after wave of God's love and compassion for his people this morning. But I want to talk about three different aspects of God this morning. I want to talk about demolition, restoration and building. And I want it to be quite messy today. Now church sometimes is very polite, isn't it? And we all sit in our nice little pews or rows or comfy seats and we nod occasionally and sometimes we, uh, we get an amen some, sometimes and, and that's all very nice. But actually, church sometimes can be quite messy because God's dealing with our inner beings. And I feel today, I've had this word on my heart for about the last six to eight weeks and I want to portray it as God has been speaking it to me and sometimes I find it difficult because nerves get in the way. But if you bear with me because every time I've been out walking I spent some time with God. He's reinforced what he wants to say to the church today. And I want to try and get that across. Now, I wish I, wish I could take you when I walk the dog on a Saturday morning down to the canal, all of you, and walk along and chat to you about what God's put in my heart. Because that's the way it's come over to me. And I won't be able to do that today, but I'm going to do my best to try and portray what God's put on my heart today. And I want to use as a backdrop to today, very loosely, one of the heroes in the Bible, Nehemiah. And I want to look at the, the building of the walls of Jerusalem. I just want to use that as a backdrop, but I want to talk about what God's doing in the midst today. And God is doing something in the midst, and God will change people's lives in here today if you allow him to do that. So just to give you a bit of background about Nehemiah, um, basically when Nehemiah arrives on the scene, um, in about 587 BC, the Walls of Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, had been invaded by the Babylonians and it had been completely trashed and the, and the Solomon's Temple had been completely destroyed. And it lay in that position for about 70 years until uh, God's people under the headship of Zerubbabel went back and started to rebuild. But unfortunately for Israel, the people of God at that stage, they didn't do a particularly good job. And although they started the work, they never completed it. And um, you know, they started to worship false idols and the people of God always seem to come off track somehow, don't they? started to worship false idols, they didn't give sacrifices in the temple, etc., etc., and the walls never got rebuilt, and they lay in again uh, for some 100 years before Nehemiah arrives on the scene. So he's there thinking, um, just he was a cupbearer to the king at that stage. Now, I, don't want to, I don't know what, quite what a cupbearer does, really. It doesn't sound like anybody can be that thirsty to have a cupbearer stationed at your side all day long. But anyway, I guess he was a, a well-informed servant, uh, high, high in, the, in the household of... Uh, of the king at that stage, but someone spoke to him just in passing about the walls of Jerusalem and it just gripped him. And he thought, how can God's people not have Jerusalem rebuilt? And it filled him with such a passion to rebuild the walls. And so often in that case, isn't it, and sometimes in life, that God raises up a man or a woman at the right time and maybe 
there's been years of desolation in some areas of our lives or in a church situation or in a part of the country and all of a sudden you're thinking, what's God going to do about it? And from the most unlikely sources, and this is so, so often God, isn't it? He raises up a man or a woman to stand in the breach and to take the kingdom forward. And Zerubbabel, sorry, and, and uh, Nehemiah was a man such as this. And it says in, in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. Today, I believe, is a time to tear down and a time to rebuild. So Nehemiah comes on the scene. And the first thing he did, and I I just felt like this this morning when I felt this love of God coming again, he wept over the city. He wept over God's unfinished work in Jerusalem. And then what we find, basically, he goes to different people around the country and he's, he's, trying, he's trying to elicit some building materials and just the, the fact that he wants to be released from the king's service to go and do this work. And he finds himself having the fantastic favour of men. Again, so often in, in scripture we find the favour of man you know, is, is upon us. He was a man of some vision, there's no doubt about that. He got this picture in front of him of the desolation of the walls and what he wanted to do. So he had this very firmly in his mind as he... As he got onto his horse for the first time and started to make his way towards Jerusalem. And not only was he a man of vision, but he could impart the vision. And that's two different things. Sometimes we get a vision, but are we the right person to impart it? But he not only was a man of vision, but he could impart it as well. And in the King James Version, in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. If we don't aim at anything, if we aim at nothing, we're going to hit nothing, basically. So we must always have a vision, both corporately in this church and the churches you might belong to, and you might be a visitor here today, but in our own lives. So if I said to you today, what is your vision? What are you hoping God will achieve in your lives? I wonder what that might be. And maybe you've never thought about that. But where there's no vision, the people perish. We then look at his other characteristics. He was definitely a man of prayer. Before he even set out, he was praying. Every time we hear about Nehemiah, he's always praying. He's getting ahead of it. He's, he's seeking God's face. Then he started to build a team around him, which is really, really important. He built a team of faithful people around him, men and women who had the same vision as he did. He had a strategic plan. He went down in the dead of night to look at the walls when he first arrived back in Jerusalem. He looked at them thinking, well, what do I need to do here? I don't want you know, I don't, I don't to sort of raise any publicity here, but I just want to see what the task, the size of the task is. There's no doubt of it, he was a man of courage. And he was a man of people for the people. And he realised there was a time to tear down what was left And there was a time to rebuild. And then when we get into Nehemiah a little bit further, um, I'm looking at Nehemiah, basically about Nehemiah 4, I guess. Most of the the, the, um, things I want to look at come from. So Nehemiah 4, verses 1 to 3. It says, When Sambalat heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they were? And Tobiah the Amorite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their wall of stones. So the first thing I want to look at in this whole 
episode of rebuilding the wall is the mockery. And I want to apply it to our lives. The devil's a cunning and he knows our flesh and the fact that we as men and women all want to be honoured, respected, accepted and loved. Many have and will desert the spiritual battlefield because of the pain inflicted through mockery. You might be a wife here of a non-Christian husband. You might have friends here that mock you for coming to church on a Sunday. I remember when I first became a Christian, I wrote to my mum. I didn't have that relationship where I could speak to her about this, but I wrote to her saying, I've just become a Christian. And she uh, phoned me up and said, that won't last. I wonder if you've been under that sort of pressure in your life before, where people mock you for what you're doing before God. Certainly in this whole situation of rebuilding the wall, it was a prevalent thing. If even a fox jumped up on what you're doing, it would knock you over. Mockery, insidious. It's the drip, drip, drip of the devil's lies in the background. How did Nehemiah overcome it? He simply got on with building. When people mock you, simply build the walls. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Keep building those walls in your life and you'll overcome the mockery that people throw at you. Then secondly, in Nehemiah 6 verse 2, it says this. Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I'm carrying out a great project and I cannot go down. So the second thing thrown at you and I and thrown at the builders of the wall was compromise. Ever been in a compromised situation in your Christian walk? The walls were half now of their intended height. Let's meet and talk. Hmm, actually, these Israelites seem to be building the wall quite well now and I'm getting a little bit worried here. So let's have a bit of compromise. Let's talk about it. Is there, maybe, maybe we can come and help you. Maybe we can divert the activity here. I wonder if you've ever had that. Maybe someone said to you, you're a bit too zealous for God. Just tone it down a little bit. Maybe people have said to you, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, I'm not quite sure if that's scriptural. Let's, let's have a look together and see what it says in scriptures. Maybe they're trying to throw you off, off the scent a little bit. So beware of compromise. Again, it's an insidious drip, drip, drip of the devil's ways. So Nehemiah overcame the compromise by saying, I am about a great work and I cannot and will not come down. Why should we stop work whilst I come down to you? Don't be detracted by that. Then we find in Nehemiah 6 verse 6. It says here, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. What's this one all about? This is barefaced lies, a total fabrication of the facts. Take those thoughts captive in your life. When people throw lies at you that are not in line with Scripture, take them captive. Make them obey what we read in God's Word. Nehemiah replies, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. Lies. The drip, drip 
of the devil's ways. Then in Nehemiah 6 verse 10, we have the next one thrown at us and the people of God. One day I went to the house of Shehemiah, son of Delilah, in the house of Metabel, who was shut in at his house. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Fear. I wonder if you know what fear really is. Are you gripped by it? Your life is in danger. Run. Fear. A formidable weapon of the enemy. It can paralyze you. It can grip you. It can make you totally um, unproductive for God. Nehemiah says, Should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? Was he arrogant? I don't believe he was arrogant. He had a sense of destiny and calling. He wasn't going to be diverted, no matter what the enemy threw at him. And then in Nehemiah 6, verses 17 to 19, we get this happening. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shekariah, son of Akar, and to his Jehonav, married to the daughter of Mesalaman, daughter of son of Bakiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I had said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So now we come to point number five, disloyalty. Disloyalty is a cruel and a wicked weapon. Wounds. It wounds deeply, disloyalty. God hates disloyalty in his church and his people. He delights in covenant love and wants us to be a loyal people. Nehemiah has no obvious answer to this. And those of you here whose hearts have been broken through disloyalty of those you thought you could trust know this agony only too well. Many of you will know that, um, and I've I've mentioned it in previous occasions, the church we came from uh, went through a time of a complete split in the church and it was a most harrowing time I think I've been through in my Christian walk where on one Sunday morning half the church just got up and left just astounds me to this day and made me very sensitive to unity in the church I guess because I've been through that but God hates disloyalty it's not in his it's not in his words it divides his church his people it's a horrible thing to work through and those that you are sitting here today knowing that you've had disloyalty at your doorstep will know exactly what I'm talking about If you're in charge of anything in your life, if you're a husband or if you're in charge of a ministry in the church or if you're in charge in the workplace, God has called you to be a watchman on the wall. And when we see the walls of Jerusalem were finally rebuilt here, you'll see that as part of the walls, they built watchtowers. And the unique thing about watchtower in this particular part of of the wall was that it didn't just look out from the city. It wasn't just facing away from the city, but it faced into the city as well. So we've been called to be watchmen. And I, as an elder of this church, have been called to be a watchman over the flock here. And if you're running a ministry, or if you're a husband and a wife, you've been called to be a watchman over your family, over the ministry. And it says in Ezekiel 33, verse 6, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, I will hold him accountable. 
And there's a weight that comes with that from God saying, you're there, you've been placed in a position of authority to look out and, and take care of my beloved people, my church, my family, whatever it might be in your instance. And if you don't, say, if you don't speak up and, and, and call and, and blast a trumpet basically when something's happening, then you're going to be held accountable. And I take that extremely seriously in my position in this church. And I'm saying today, be alert, there is an enemy at the gate. Seeking to destroy, divide and confuse. And for too long, we've listened to the enemy's lies. And today is a day where we actually say enough is enough, I believe, in a lot of instances. And today is a day of a restoration in people's lives. Today is a day of rebuilding. Today is a day of breaking down some things and rebuilding on the, on the, on the foundation. And Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 to 11, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls round like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, I remember very vividly the day of my conversion. When I knelt down in the most unusual circumstances with no lead up into, no church background hardly at all. And I knelt down and I said, Jesus, you've got to be the way. There can't be any other way. It's either what I'm listening to here from this woman speaking to me is a pack of lies or Jesus, you're the real thing and I need you. And I knelt on the floor and I gave my life to God. And when I got up from the floor, having been baptised in the Holy Spirit, I, I, just, I wanted to run to a church because I thought that's where God was. I wanted to run to a church and say, Lord, I love you. You've done something in my life and I can't ever go back from this point forward. And it was all, I love you, God, I love you, God. But what I hadn't realised and what I really struggled with in the early days of being a Christian was there's opposition. Over here was the devil. Oh, actually, and one of the first things that hit me, yes, you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, actually, John, you just made that up. You're just talking in a strange language to, to make th- people think you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh don't, don't, don't bother praying, John, because that's not... And all these lies, these insipid lies kept coming into my life. And I, I physically had to go back to the person I'd knelt on the floor with. And I said, was I actually baptised in the Holy Spirit? Did I actually speak in tongues on that day? Yeah, you did. And so sometimes you're going to get this, this pressure on you to say, no, 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 don't do that. That's a lie. You haven't heard that right. And we need to resist the enemy and actually stand firm in the faith. It's a subtle and invasive thing. Sometimes you don't realise you've shifted. Oh, I love God. I actually was shifting away from, oh, I love. And I used to baptise. I used to pray in the Holy Spirit, but I don't do that. And I, I used to pray for the sick, but actually the last time I prayed for the sick, it didn't work. So I'm, I'm moving this way. And by, by the time you've, you realise, you, you're way away from where you started off and where your first love was with God is over here. And suddenly by, by the knocks you've taken and the wounds you've taken, you're sometimes over here. And you think, oh, God. I'm missing what you've got for me. I'm a a chosen person. I'm a a royal priesthood here. Sometimes things go wrong. I'm not saying the enemy is behind everything. Sometimes sometimes things go wrong in our life because we make wrong decisions. We listen to the wrong, uh, I guess, the wrong advice or perhaps we're just in sin in our lives. So it's not always the enemy behind everything. But I would suggest today there are some strongholds. And we need to break them down. Uh, Micah seven eleven says, There is a day for building your walls. Uh, sorry, a day for building your walls will come. And a day for extending your boundaries. And I prophesy today, today is a day such as this, that some walls will come down in this building today if you're available to God and you'll, you'll actually um, stand up and be counted. And a day for extending our boundaries as well. So getting back, reclaiming. When we first moved into this building, probably, I don't know, about eight, nine weeks ago now, I guess time goes really quickly. Um, 
I think it was about on the third week. I think the first couple of weeks we as a church met together and then we invited, you know, we opened up the church basically and we've now moved officially. And on the first week when Graham preached from the front basically, uh, Graham set the vision for the church again and he was just making sure that as a, as a collective group of people we're all heading the same way. And I don't always remember everything Graham says. Sorry, Graham. But he made, uh, he made a statement basically which remains with me. He said, come with us. We'll do you good. Come with us. You'll do us good. And come with us. Together we'll do Derby some good. So Graham's great at painting the vision. He's really good at that. you know, And he knows exactly where we want to go. And it's important that we know that as a church, unity, we're going forward. So coming back to Nehemiah. What happened? So Nehemiah 4, verses 13 to 19. Let me just fill in the background to what happens then. It says, Therefore I stationed, and this is Nehemiah speaking, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware, aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each of us to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the walls of Judah, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. I wonder if you can visualise yourself behind the building of the wall at that stage. A huge amount of activity. People everywhere doing what God had called them to do. Nehemiah having set the vision. The man of honour, the man of integrity, the man of wisdom. Always there, always there. Praising up the people behind the wall. Always there with them. Always there putting an arm around him when, they, when their spirits dropped a little bit and they weren't getting... You now he was everywhere. What a, what a man. But behind the wall we see families grouped together. Working, swords by their side, trowels in their hand, building the wall. It was just a fantastic sense of unity. So I wonder about you and I and this pile of bricks. And I wonder where you fit in in the wall today. Maybe you're just here for the first time passing through. Well, I pray God will bless you. Maybe you're here thinking, do I belong to this church? Is this the church for me? Well, I pray that God will um, give you wisdom to know what is right. But we're here about building a church. And you can see from these bricks, you can build... What are these bricks? Holy bricks. Indeed they are. Uh, This is the only bricks I had in the garage, unfortunately, but they are holy bricks. So... Here we go. Rebuilding the wall, as it were. Now, I know there's probably a couple of builders here in the midst thinking, you don't build on tables, John, with four legs. Now, I realise you build on tables with six legs. So So here we are, the foundation, the foundation of God. We're building on the wall. So we put down the first course of bricks. And in between each brick, what do you think goes in there? Mortar. Yeah? It's the thing that holds the bricks together. I haven't got any today, you'll be pleased to know, because it would have set completely by now. 
But those, the mortaring between the walls, as far as we're concerned as a church, is the love for each other, is it not? Or should be, in between each one. It's the cushioning effect. It allows a bit of flexibility in the wall. So as we build. Then, eventually, we'll come up with a second course of bricks built upon that. Still the foundation's holding firm. We're building and building and building, as they were. And some parts of the wall where things were a little bit, you know, we, we didn't have the bricks in place, basically. Then that's where Nehemiah posted the people with the swords behind. So some built while some stood there with the swords. And eventually, I guess the wall was built. And then the scriptures will see God is, uh, Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone and the capstone. He's the foundation, the cornerstone and the capstone. But John, you might say you've left some bricks on the side here. You can say that if you like. So what are these bricks all about? So here's the wall. Here's the church being built. And what are these bricks over here doing, I wonder? Well, here are the people that are hurting. Here are the people with the wounds. Here are the people who have been in church life, maybe, and you've been so wounded, actually, you feel actually you cannot now rejoin the building of the wall because you've been so damaged. But God would say to you, you need to pick yourself up today and realise your place in the kingdom again and come and be built into this wall. You cannot be a lone Christian. Lone Christians don't survive in this world. The enemy, come and pick you off. You're on the outside of the camp. And we don't want that to happen. So if you're here today and you've been damaged in your Christian walk, if you don't feel you belong in a part of a church, if you're just going round and round churches thinking, or oh, eventually I'll find the perfect church, can I tell you today, you will never find the perfect church. It doesn't, doesn't exist. And you'll come to this church and you might not like the worship, you might not like the way I preach, you might not like the way we welcome. You're always going to find something to, that isn't, doesn't quite meet your requirements. But actually, God is building something perfect. It's his precious bride that we're building. So come, be built into the church even today. And then probably the most dramatic thing for me happens in Nehemiah. It says in Nehemiah 4, sorry, sorry, let me go back one. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you are living stones being built into a spiritual temple. So people here that have joined us on the wall, Johnny, a living stone. Adam, a living stone. Matt, a living stone. Jen, a living stone. Being built into God's spiritual temple. Each one of you, precious in God's sight, being built in and hedged around with mortar. Then Nehemiah says, and this is where basically I believe, um, he says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And I spiritually, in the spiritual context, want to blow a trumpet in this church this morning. Now, I, I wanted to get hold of a trumpet. I, I text Matt and I said, Matt, can you get hold of a trumpet or, or a hunting horn or something? But it then occurred to me when I had a, hum, a trumpet or a hunting horn in my in my mouth, I probably would not be able to blow it anyway, so it would probably be, my face would be going red, veins would be popping out of my head, and I wouldn't get sound, and you'd be thinking there, hmm, that's sound. But actually, if you can spiritually think of a trumpet sound blowing, and when the trumpet sound blew, everybody ran to that weak part of the wall. And I wonder today, and it's, it's been said, I had a, a prophecy over me uh, some years ago when I joined this church that people would see me a little bit like a cactus sometimes, a little bit prickly. Sometimes I'd get in people's faces. Sometimes I'd say things that actually stirred people up. And I, I am indebted to a guy in my old church who used to come up to me or used to come up to loads of people on a Sunday. In fact, if you saw him coming towards you, you'd best get out of the way because what he would come up and say, how's your walk with God? What's God been saying to you this week? 
What's your prayer life like? Now, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to pry. He didn't want to you know, get under your skin too much. But he was actually asking the questions that actually a really faithful friend would ask you. You know what I mean? Sometimes, how are you doing in your Christian world? Actually, I'm really struggling today. I'm, I'm so glad you asked because can I just share this with you? And I want to be a little bit prickly today if that's okay. Will you forgive me for that? Okay. So when we blow the trumpet from the front of the church and we say, please, come to the prayer meeting. It's important to come to the prayer meeting because without the prayer meeting fun- functioning properly, this church is going nowhere in a hurry. Now, I don't know how many people are here today, maybe 50, 60, 70, I don't know. But at the prayer meeting, we gather three or four. Now, I think actually you can judge most churches by how many people turn up at prayer meeting. And I'm really, really concerned that if we don't put prayer into the, into the life of this church, we're not going to achieve what God wants us to achieve or we'll take longer to get there. So please, when we blow the trumpet from the front saying, please, Come to the prayer meeting. I know we're all busy, but please just hear the trumpet call. And when the life group leader blows the trumpet saying, please, we've got a meeting this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and no one turns up, please think what that means to that life group leader. Now, every life group here probably has about 14 or 16 people effectively can get to that group. And when those people have gone out of their way to set up something for you and no one has the... the, um, the I guess to get up and go to even pick up the phone and say I won't be there. How does that make that person feel who've actually prepared for that evening? So when we blow the trumpet from the front and we say, please, life groups are Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. They are the heart of this church. They're the engine room of this church. This is where we build relationships. And if you're not turning up at them, how can we be built into the church without attending a life group? When I was at the recent prayer and fasting thing, which is, I mean, Johnny talked about the group of churches that we part of. In New Frontiers, when I was at the last prayer and fasting uh, for leaders down in um, Peterborough, um, someone brought a word from the front basically, and they said basically they were talking about unity, and they said this is the season to pitch your tents closely together, and that that stayed with me because I thought actually yeah that that speaks to me all about unity. Now, if you went up to North or if you've been to a Bible week before, you know there's a sort of desig- a designated I don't know, two meters or whatever you have to put between each tent. But actually, I got the picture of actually. No, pitch your tents closely together because there is a unity in there. There's a safety in that. And so people on the periphery need to be built into this church, the church you're in, whatever. Don't stay out on the sidelines. Now, can we put up that screen about? I just want to... There's a fantastic book here. Just go through this. This is Bill Hybel's book here. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in a context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Wow, I don't know how, how quickly that came to Bill Hybels when he wrote it in his book, Courageous Leadership, but that is a most wonderful picture of the local church. And that's what we aspire to build here in this church, maybe in the churches you've come from. That says it all to me. That's what the church is here to do, to break the addictions, to, to be there for those that are weak in spirit, those that have been let down in the world. That's what the church is all about, is it not? So how can you be involved? If you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, that sounds like okay to me. 
Johnny's mentioned the newcomers evening on the 26th of November. If you're sitting here thinking, mm, okay, not quite sure where I'm going to put down my tent, basically, is this the place for you? Come and find out. A very laid-back, chatty evening about what this church is all about. There's absolutely no pressure on signing anything. Just come and chat with us about what your aspirations about the church are and, and do we meet those requirements. Um, there's a men- membership, there's live groups you can get involved in. We're having a youth meeting after here. It, again, open invitation. Anybody here that wants to be involved in youth work in the church, we've got about 12 people coming back to lunch, but we've got food for more people than that. If you think, actually, yeah, I would actually quite like to get involved in youth, then please come back. Just tap me on the shoulder afterwards and say, can I come back for a meal? Again, there's absolutely no obligation to do anything with youth, but you can just look in and see what we're doing. And if it doesn't interest you, well, have a good meal anyway, is the way I'm looking at it. Okay, I've said a lot of things now, but I don't want to say any more because what I want basically is the Holy Spirit to come and work in the midst. So I'm going to keep quiet for a little bit now. Matt, I wonder if you can just come up and just play on the keyboard for a second. I want to be really specific about things in the church today. We've talked about the building the wall. We've talked about you know, the precious ones that, that God's got. We've talked about uh, lots of things about things that may have happened in your life previously. But God's given me some words for people here today, and I want to be really specific, please. And this is a time, please, not for passivity, but for action. Okay? And I want to go through quite a list of things. Apologies for that, but I just feel that as over the last six or eight weeks, God's been giving me some names of people here and some situations in the church which he wants to change. So um, some of these might be wrong. You'll have to weigh them up in your own heart and mind. Some of them might be right. So, okay, the first thing I want to talk about here in, in this ministry time is reclaiming the ground that we've lost either as an individual, maybe as a couple here. And it's what I was saying earlier. I started off here, God, with you in this place of some strength. And my first love for you was so intense, Lord God. And it's a bit like we felt this morning. And forgive me if I get emotional here, but this is really important to me. I felt this morning God just pour this love back into my life. And I thought, yeah, how far have I fallen from my first love when I knelt on that floor and my spine tingled and everything was fresh and alive. And, and now, God, I find myself right over here. And how did I move? You haven't moved from me, God, because you said to me, if there's a hundred steps between you and me, you would run 99 and expect me to just take the one back to you, Lord God. And I found myself over here, Lord, how did that happen? Well, it's this insidious drip, drip, drip of the enemy who would just pour those lies and that disloyalty and that compromise into our lives. And all of a sudden, we've moved a million miles from God's. And he says, today, I want you to reclaim that ground. And I had a picture yesterday when I was walking the dog. I got up to the bridge that went over the canal. And in the field, a long way away, there was a machine gun post. I'm sure you're very aware of that. Sometimes in the Second World War, they place these machine gun posts at really, it seems to me, very unstrategic places along the way. And I guess what I'm looking at is a, is a couple or a person here that in the war scenario, if you were placed in a machine gun post in the Second World War, that was pretty much a, a death for you because you knew basically all your position was you, you had to hold up the enemy while the rest of the, rest of the army managed to get back and, and retreat a bit. You were very, very exposed in a machine gun post. Yes, you had loads of ammunition, but when that ran out, basically you had pretty much met your end. And I felt someone, was, I felt someone here was like that. And this, this um, verse in Hebrews came to me. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your... When you stood your ground in the great contest and in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. So do not throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. And I believe that's speaking to somebody here today, if not 
more than one person. And then I want to pray for some people today. I believe God's going to commission some people in this church today. And commissioning, when you think about Nehemiah, when the walls were built, what he did basically is he picked faithful people in the church. And what he said to them was, I'm going to commission you as a gatekeeper. I'm going to commission you as a watchman on the walls. And I've got some specific words for people here today. And I don't know if you're all here. Caroline, God's going to commission you for something today. Ray and B, God's going to commission you for something today. Claire and Martin here. Okay. Uh, Alan, God's got a word for you today. And a little bit later on, I'd like you to come up. I've also got a word here for, for, Kath, uh, for Kathy and Chase. Um, and for Richard and Joe, if you're not here today. I feel God's put something in my heart for you guys. And then there's other specific things. I, I had this picture some time ago of people sitting along the front of this stage. And it was people with back problems. And the back problems actually were caused by one leg being shorter than the other. So if you've got a back problem here today, God's here to heal you. So I've got this, I've got this picture of you, Graham, praying for people along the front of the stage. So if you've got a back problem, don't write it off as just a back problem. It could be that you've got one leg shorter than the other. And God is a healer. God loves to heal and set free. And I believe God wants to do that today. And then on the last day we left the waterfall, which was our last building we met in as a church. As I, as I came up to the front, I think I was on the front door, and I got into the service late, and at the front of the church were three pairs of kiddie shoes. And I looked at them, and I thought nothing of them. I thought the kids had left their shoes there. But over the weeks, God said to me, you know, those shoes were quite important, actually. I want you to understand what those shoes are all about. There were some sandals there, there were some trainers, and there were some walking shoes there. And f- today, for some people, you're going to be changing the shoes you currently walk in. There's going to be a change of direction for some people here today. So maybe you've been a person with trainers on doing that over there. And God says, no, 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 that's not your calling in life. The calling upon your life is to do something over here with walking shoes. Or is to take your trainers off and to put some sandals on and go and do that for me. So please be open to God just and the Holy Spirit just speaking to you right now. Is a change of shoes for some people here today. And God wants to remind us that he can and will demolish strongholds here today. And he will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. In Joel 2.25. Can he do it? Yes, he can. And he has an inheritance for people here today that can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. And it's kept in heaven for you. And that's 1 Peter 1.4. Can he restore your faith? Can he restore your trust? Can he restore your freedom? Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that the Lord has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Can he free you? Yes, he can. Can he rebuild your confidence this morning? You that have taken the knocks, you that have had the bruises and you that carry the hurts. Remember, he chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong, the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So if you've written yourself off in the kingdom and say, well, I'm not a man or a woman of of any intelligence, praise God for that. Because it's only when we reach the end of ourselves that God can actually do the work. When you say, that's God, I've been plowing away on this field for years and years and years, and I can't see the breakthrough, I've finished God's, God says, thank you, now I can actually 
act in your life. So don't worry if you're not of great intelligence. Don't worry if God's not done a lot of, of, uh, of giving you lots of ministries in life. That's not important. But let God work this morning. So, have you faced mockery in your life? Are you going through a situation maybe in your workplace or in your home life where people mock you? Have you been caused to compromise your faith with God, I wonder? Have you listened to the lies of the enemy for so long that you don't know what the truth is any longer? Are you completely wrapped up in fear? Or do you know disloyalty? Has that wounded you and put you aside from the building that we're building here? Can he rebuild? Can he restore? Can he demolish strongholds? Yes, he can. The walls were built in just 52 days. Did he do it? Yes, he did. So I want to just wonder if you can just close your eyes for a second. I want the Holy Spirit to come. I'm so desperate for the Holy Spirit to come and to change lives this morning. And even looking out there in my spiritual eyes, I know there's hurt here. I don't have to be prophetic to know that. The people here are going through terrible hurt in their lives. And people know what it is to be mocked. And people know what it is to be lied to. And people know what it is to have lost their first love. But God is here in power this morning to demolish strongholds, to help you retake and regain the land that you once inherited as a people, as a person, as a family, as a couple. And for too long, you feel evicted. You've been evicted. The enemy has robbed you. You've been mugged. You've been assaulted by the enemy. And you've been so downtrodden, you don't know the way back again. And God says, I'm drawing a line in the sand today. And today's the day when I want you to stand up and be counted Today is not a day of passivity. This is not what this is all about. This is getting real with God and saying, yeah, God, God, I know. Oh, so long, Father, I've longed for that touch of you in my life. So long have I longed for that, Father. I don't know what it's like to be kissed by you, to have my arm put around me, Lord. I've fallen by the wayside. And today, like the one sheep... Jesus left the 99 and he ran. He pursued the one sheep and he wants to pick that sheep up, as it were, put you around his shoulders and run back to the flock with you. Today's a day of rebuilding. Today's a day of restoration. Spirit of God, I just want you to consider what God has for you today. I've named some certain people here and I'd love you to come out in a minute, please. And I want to pray for you. So Caroline, Ray and B, Marching and Claire, if either of you are here. But I don't want to just pray for those. There may be other people here that just feel, yeah, I want to be commissioned again to stand in that wall. To stand in the breach. To stand up and be counted. And I'll, I would love to pray for you as well. So in a minute, I'm going to pray for people that want to be commissioned again to stand in the wall. And that's going to be on my on my right hand side, on your left, on the right hand side, to the end of this stage here. If you want to be commissioned in a minute then please come up and join me at that end of the stage and I want to pray for you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to ask God to give me some words for those people. But if you 
know that you've got to have strongholds broken in your lives. If you know that you want the Spirit of God to come upon you again, if you know you've got into sin or you've turned your back on God or you just want God to break through in a new way, and I want you to go up on that first landing on my left-hand side, please. And if you're sick in your body today, if you've got a back problem or a leg problem, I want you to come and stand down here in front of Graham in a minute, please. And Graham, I'd love you to pray for these people. I feel God's going to give you a measure of faith for these people today. And if you want to change your shoes, if you feel God's actually called me to go there, but no, 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 you've been almost fighting it. God says, no, 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 I want you to put on this pair of trainers or I want you to put a pair of walking shoes. I want you to go up to the right hand side, my left, your right hand side on the middle block here. Now, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know who's going to pray for who here. And as I said to you, church can sometimes be very messy. And I want it to be messy, intentionally messy, because God's going to break in and there's going to be people set free here today and people healed here today and people that have got their lives changed and people who've had their lives broken into and set free again today. And that's messy. When that happens, it doesn't happen in nice, polite lines with people saying, God be with you. No, no, no. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon you in power and laying people out maybe on the floor when you just consider what God got for us today. So I'm just going to wait for just a couple of minutes, please. While Matt just plays in the background, I want you to consider the words God's broken, broke, brought before you today. It's not me, you're not coming to me, you're coming to God, the author and perfecter of your faith today. You're coming to him, the champion of the cause, the one that rebuilds. Come in power now, Lord. I pray for conviction in, this, in the room right now. Just come right across us, Lord. Your will be done, Lord God. Father, I can't, I can't enforce anybody to get out of their chairs here and come forward. Lord, but you can convict in people's hearts today, Lord God. You know those people that have fallen away, those people that are bruised and wounded, those people that have just can't settle in a church. They feel they can do it alone, Lord God. You know those people that you want to commission today, Lord God. You know those people that you want to pour your healing upon. Father, Jesus. Father, thank you that you wouldn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a, a, a wick, Lord God. You are the gentleman, Lord, Spirit of God. listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.